let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, a Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the stupendous Sam G, the cunning Craig, and the glamorous Greg Gordon. Today, we've got myself, Ange, along with JT and Tomas, and we are going to talk about attending conventions. Before we dive into that main topic, though, our Get to Know a Gnome question is, what was one of the best conventions games you've ever played or run? JT, I'm going to start with you. All right. I have actually not run a whole lot of convention games, um, so I'm going to skip through those very exhausting memories uh, and talk about a game that I played in. Uh, it was uh, Cobalt Con of 2019, uh, which unfortunately was the very last Cobalt Con. They did not survive the pandemic, yeah. sadly. But it was a uh, con local to me in Colorado Springs. And that was the first time, uh, I guess you should say, first and only time I've met Rob Schwab. Uh, he was there running Shadows of the Demon Lord and Punk Apocalyptic. And this is before the Punk Apocalyptic Kickstarter came out. He was actually kind of playtesting it. Everything was more or less finalized in his head, but he wanted to run it at various cons, various groups, various people to, to see if there was any rough edges to iron out. And we had so much fun. Rob is a creative genius when it comes to not only designing games, but actually on the fly, changing things up. The improv part of being a game master, he's just so good at it. And the game was full of strange mutant stuff, cool punk flavor, great use of surviving like a post-apocalyptic setting, but without counting every bean or slice of bread to ensure survival. It, those details <laughs> were not delved into, which you know makes the games more fun. Because I personally, I don't like playing accounting the role-playing game. Yeah. But it, it was just incredibly fun smooth experience for me as a player coming into a brand new game and, and a new game master and all that. He just did a great job. If you're interested in learning more about Punk Apocalyptic, it's been out a few years. We'll slap a link to schwabentertainment.com and the Punk Apocalyptic page in our show notes for that purpose. Awesome. Tomas, what about you? What's one of the best con games you've ever played or run? Well, in my case as well, I didn't run that many games either. I only went to two big conventions, and both were big bad con, both, uh, both last year and this year. And I only run games this year in which I run my game, What is That Lies Beyond the Immenseness of the Dark. But I wanted to make a special mention for a game that I did play last year, run by Justice Arman. It's a game of werewolf, in which um, we were like about 18 people playing. And it was a ton of fun as we played in uh, town that firstly, we all started very calmly, but as time went, went on, uh, some of us started to role play our characters in some special way. <laughs> nice. And it was like a ton of fun. I played the little Timmy in town that tried to run for mayor and ended up as a mayor because he promised <laughs> a PS5 for everyone. I had also a, a big sister that uh, uh, was trying to survive. I think my character wanted to kill her at one moment. I don't know. It was a ton of fun, and Justice made it extremely hilarious. Yeah, and when you got a big group like that, if everyone's into it, it you know, the energy is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I have almost too many to name. I have been attending conventions regularly since about 2003. 
2006, I want to say. 2006 was my first Gen Con. I stopped going to Gen Con in 2017, but other cons have taken its place and just like I've done a lot of cons. So I've got a lot of fantastic games. But way back, probably around 2008, maybe 2009, there was this absolutely amazing Shadowrun game I played in. This was probably the last year that the company was supporting games that weren't necessarily just missions games. When Catalyst kind of took over, most of their convention support was thrown behind running the missions game, so the, the living world and the organized play aspect of it. But this game that I played was a curated game. The GM had made characters that were specific to that scenario. And it was basically, we had a Las Vegas mob boss on his deathbed needing us to do something before he was taken to hell by some demons. <laughs> nice. Oh. <laughs> it was so well done. And like, I remember I was playing the rigor, so I was all about the fast cars. And I remember our last, you know, climactic scene was us racing across the desert with me driving the car and, you know, people hanging out of all windows, firing at this horde of demons shooting behind us as we were uh, trying to get this artifact to the location we needed to get it to to send them all back to hell. It was so good. That was probably the last time I played a really good Shadowrun game. So it kind of stands out in my mind. Sounds like a hoot. <laughs> so moving into our main topic, you know, while the world is not fully back to where it was before 2020, many of us are starting to attend conventions again. As Tomas mentioned, he was at Big Bad Con in San Francisco quite recently. I am headed to Madison, Wisconsin for Gamehole Con very soon. JT has Mile High Con coming up at the end of October. Because of this, we decided it would be cool to kind of talk about attending conventions. It is totally okay if you're not ready to go back to conventions yet, but Agreed. they're out there and the folks who want to attend them, this is, you know, some information for you. First things first, what do you like about attending conventions? In my case, I believe that conventions are a place to just meet with tons of people that you have been talking to all this time over on the internet, on Twitter, well, now X, or whichever <laughs> other social network that you use to communicate with everyone and just make friends. You can uh, say that you're going to meet up in there and play a, a game in person, which is completely different from running it uh, virtually, and just chatting about things in life and getting to know each other better. Yeah. How about you, Shiti? For me, it's definitely, it's definitely the people. I enjoy getting to go to conventions and try games I wouldn't otherwise get a chance to play. It's a combination of the experience of having all of this gaming crammed into just these few days, of getting to try games I might not otherwise get a chance to play. To quote Senda, it's a one-shot, ride it like you stole it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Play the game like crazy. Uh, but then it's also the people. I have collected a vast array of friends that I know specifically through conventions. Mm -hmm. And this is a chance for me to get, a, get the opportunity to hang out with them and spend time with folks that I only get to see a couple of times a year at best. Exactly. 
Yeah, same here. The the, the friends and the people, because most of them I only see annually. Uh, maybe some twice a year if we attend the same regional con. But yeah, it, it I have so many online friends that don't exist in the 3D world until <laughs> I'm at a convention with them. It's always phenomenal to be able to, you know, shake their hand, give them a hug, fist bump, wave at them if they're not a non-touchy person, whatever the case may be, right? Just to be able to be in the same room as another human being that's like not my family. It, you know, not the room with my family, not get, not going there, but, you know, <laughs> just, uh, you know, being able to, to see those folks, it's fantastic. Another thing I love doing is, is just like Ange said, is playing different games, rather. If D&D is on the slate at a con, I will not play it at a con because <laughs> I get to play that at home all the time. Yeah, exactly. Jared and I have been having this, this, this joke running back and forth between us about D&D at comms. We've got D&D at home. You don't need <laughs> D&D here. Yes, yes. I want to find the new shiny thing that, that, that maybe I didn't know about or had tangentially heard of and now i get to do a deep dive or at least a four-hour deep dive you know into whatever the new shiny thing is and I, I get a taste for free and if i liked it cool i'm gonna go buy it and if i didn't like it well i'm out four hours which is no big deal yeah well, like you mentioned with uh with rob schwalb running his uh punk apocalyptica it's an it's an opportunity for game designers to play test stuff oh yeah yeah you know you have an audience of people who want to try they may you need to put up front that you are play testing and you're interested in their feedback because you still want to give them a good game experience so you don't want to bring something too raw sure to the table at a big convention now, mind you, there is an exception. Uh, Metatopia yeah. is a convention that happens, I believe it happens in November on the East Coast near New York City that is specifically designed for game designers to play test and work out stuff like that. Uh -huh. Right. They're happening in person this year for the first time since 2019. That's what I've heard as well, yeah. That's a hard idea. But it's still an opportunity to get out there and try things that you may not be able to do with your home group or yeah just i like conventions <laughs> as well if you're a designer just as ang was saying there are some conventions that allow you to just show off the game that you have been working off to either play test it or just run the finished version in my case for example when i went to big bad con i was able to run my own game and then sell it to those people that played it and i received a ton of sales because of just trying it out and showing it to, to people that have never heard of it before. That's awesome. Cool. Mm -hmm. When you have decided that you are going to a convention, do you guys plan it out or do you kind of wing it once you're there? Now, obviously, if you are running games, you're probably on the schedule and have planned it. But sure. just in general, mm -hmm. how do you approach this? JT, I'm going to start with you. I always plan things out. Then again, that's not a surprising answer. Uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast has heard me mention my uh, however many hundreds of rows of spreadsheet that I make as an outline for my novels. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't like going to cons without seeing the schedule so I can circle things I'm interested in. Now, the plans might change. Like if I am in a supremely fascinating conversation with a group of friends in the lobby and I look down and I'm like, oh, it's two minutes to the next panel or two minutes to the next whatever. I'll evaluate, do I want to go to the panel more or chill here with my friends more? And mm -hmm. sometimes I skip things. So yeah, but I, I've always got a plan of action uh, before I step in the door. 
no plan survives contact with the enemy. Not that there's enemies at the cons, but, you know, you get the, <laughs> the, the gist. What about you, Tomas? Your times attending Big Bad Con, have you planned it out, or do you leave large gaps to do whatever? Well, the first time that I went to Big Bad Con, I did exactly what JT was saying. I did a whole Excel sheet and planned out everything <laughs> so I could go to as many things I could, because... I didn't know how many times in the future would I be able to go back to a convention of this sort. So I wanted to make it count. The thing that happened is that I did have very little time to chat with people or just meet people in person and play games. So for this year, I tried to go with a more loosey-goosey sort of approach, plan some panels that I wanted to go to, as well as some games that I didn't want to miss. But I did leave a lot of time open for me to just um, improvise at the moment. Mm -hmm. See if I wanted to go with someone else uh, to chat or have some food. Maybe just uh, stay chilling in somewhere else or play some game that I found that someone else was running. I'm in the middle there between planning it out meticulously and winging it. I find I need... I need to know that I'm going to have at least two games a day. That makes sense. Uh, I, I want an afternoon game and an evening game or something along those lines. So I will usually look at the schedule in terms of what can I play in the first half of the day? What can I play in the second half of the day? I know folks who will plan it like it's a military operation. <laughs> yeah. And they will have their their morning game, their lunch slot, their afternoon game, their dinner slot, their evening game, and like, like it is military precision. I can't do that. I, that's, that's way too exhausting for me. Yeah, I did that last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd love to play three games in a day. By the end of the day, I can't remember what I've done. So it's like, it's better to just try and plan, you know, just a couple of things and just have a plan, but play it loose. Since we are primarily a role-playing game blog and podcast, it is important to point out that there is a bit of an issue with role-playing games and um, scheduling at conventions. There are only four to eight slots at any given role-playing game, and those slots will go quick for the popular games. For the cons I know I'm going to, I try and register for games the day registration opens so I have a chance to get the games I really know I want to play. Uh, and even then, I still miss out. Coming up in November, I'm going to be going to Yukon, and I have a friend who's going to be running a Justice League game. <sighs> it filled up in three minutes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah registration opened it was full in three minutes i didn't get to try and plug it into my cart until five oh. minutes after registration opened mm. so close so sad oh. so close i don't know that there's a fix to this problem for conventions because there's only so many gms to go around there's only so many seats at a table you have to kind of go into it understanding that you may need to be flexible about what you want to play when you want to play it because yeah. stuff mm -hmm. will fill up. I've heard there are some cons that have some sort of wish list way in which you can select pre-select the games that you don't want to miss. And in that case, uh, the moment it opens up for anyone to just uh, sign up for games, you press a button and you go in all of them. 
Yeah. But at the same time, what I've also heard is that that mostly also depends on the speed of your connection. Because <laughs> if you are trying to get to a polar game, everyone is going to be doing the same. So you might not be able to get in there if you don't have the highest internet connection. I remember with Gen Con, again, I don't go to Gen Con anymore because it's a little too big for what I want to do with my convention experience. I remember you would set up your wish list and then Event Reg would go live, you'd hit the button and it would put you in a queue. And that queue might be 3,000 people long. Oh, wow. Different conventions do different things. So if you're attending, you kind of want to research what your convention is doing. I believe Gamehole Con had something similar where you could fill out a wish list. And then once Event Reg went live, you'd hit a button and it would give you whatever still had openings, provided there weren't conflicts in your schedule. Many of the cons I attend now use tabletop events, which doesn't do that, but it does have the, um, the wait list option where if a, a game you want to attend is full, you can be put on a wait list so that you can get notified if somebody drops out before the event happens. Mm. It doesn't help you if somebody no-shows at the table, but it, you know, if somebody decides to turn in their ticket because they want to do something else or they can't come to the con, you at least know that there's now an opening in that game. Yeah. It's one of those aspects of cons you should be aware of. I can see some con in the future creating some sort of app that can tell you when one person is missing from a game and you can just go and... Oh, yeah. Getting there. But I don't know why they haven't done that yet. Maybe it's too expensive or they want to... I haven't been to Gen Con since 2017. I don't know if they have a better app system now. Part of the problem with a big con like that is you may get the notification that there's an opening in a game starting now and you are a 20-minute walk. Yeah, for the big <laughs> cons. Also, cell networks are going to be flooded with all those people there all at once. I, I don't know how well cell phones work at Gen Con. I know smaller cons that do something where they'll have like a flag you can put up on the table if you've got spots. So like if everyone's playing in the same room, you can raise a flag so somebody may know there's an opening at your table. Different cons try and do different things. Some cons will do their best to find you people, you know, and sometimes you just make do with who showed up. Maybe you were supposed to run for six and only three people show up. Well, you give those three people a fantastic game. There you go. Exactly. So what types of things do you guys do to avoid wearing yourself out at a con and hopefully making sure you are not vulnerable to the dreaded con crud that existed well before 2020? Caffeine? <laughs> <laughs> not the best advice, but it works. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go on the opposite end of it. Get some sleep. It'd have to be a lot of sleep. So I got my three, two, one rule, and that is three hours of sleep each night minimum, two meals per day minimum, and one shower per day minimum. The sleep and the meals are for you. The shower is for everybody else that's around <laughs> you. All right? Don't be that person that shows up at the table that nobody wants to sit next to, please. Yeah. You know, the smelly gamer trope thing is a trope for a reason. Let's break that trope, please. I, I will say for the most part, most people I interact with at conventions are fine. Same. There's one or two people, and because the odor is strong enough, everyone notices it. 
Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I still remember my very first Gen Con in 2006, and it was opening day. I was in the dealer's hall in line to get something, and there was a guy in front of me, two or three people ahead of me, who just... It was obvious he hadn't showered in a while, and I my mind just boggled because I'm like, it's the first day of the convention. Right, right. <laughs> you haven't had time to get ripe. Did you not shower before coming to the convention? <laughs> Most people nowadays understand hygiene is an important thing, but there's still a few people here or there that, you know, and honestly, on the last day of the con, you're going to find people who have been too caught up in things. And Oh, sure. Yeah. That also depends. Yeah. And also going oh, going back to the planning part of things, I plan at least an hour downtime each half of the day, an hour mm. in the morning-ish. When I say morning, I'm talking like between breakfast and lunch, and then an hour downtime between lunch and dinner where you're doing nothing. And I'm not talking, your meal break doesn't count as nothing. Talking where you're sitting in the lobby, hanging out with friends, maybe making new friends. Mm -hmm. You go up to your room. If you got a room, you lay down for 20 minutes, do the NASA nap thing. Yes, that's a thing. Go look it up. NASA nap. They're awesome. <laughs> and just chill because that will re-energize you. That will boost, give you a boost that you need to continue gaming for the next time you're at the table. I will say I need more than three hours a night of sleep. I try and make sure I get at least six hours of sleep. I'm not a pleasant person if I'm lacking sleep. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, I, I shoot for six. If push comes to shove, I can run on three. I cannot run on less. It makes it memorable, you know, three, two, one uh, rule. Yeah, three, two, one. Mm -hmm. And I, I do advocate for the two meals a day. I remember in 2014, I brought a buddy to his very first Gen Con and he was so excited, he was practically vibrating the entire time. <laughs> it was kind of a, like, you know, he was way younger than I was, so he knew he had a lot more energy. So it was like, okay, I'm releasing you to the wild, but you need to check in with me every night, and we're going to do dinner together every day. And I made sure he got an actual sit-down dinner. There you go. Right, yeah. Each day of the con, just to make sure he got some real food in him <laughs> and not just a continuous array of granola bars and snack food. <laughs> yeah, I try to go to for three like meals for food uh, a day, but uh, two works fine for me as well. I try to not go below that. Yeah, and like for me, sometimes it's breakfast will be a, a the granola bar, or I'll get a bagel, or something simple, easy to take on the go with me. Yeah, I'm a lightweight breakfast person as well. Same here. I try to go for a bit more than that, but it's usually very small. And, you know, it's important to, you know, when going to these conventions, scope out what your opportunities for meals are going to be. If it's a bigger con in a city, you'll probably have more options for your meals. If it's a smaller con, you'll want to know what opportunities you have, both with what is available within a short distance and what you can get to within your meal break time. There's a small college con I go to. It has a small cafeteria, a Starbucks within like the same building that the convention is held in. And then for meal break, they always schedule a three hour gap between games on uh, Saturday. Oh, that's generous. Mm -hmm. That's good. But partially because they, they run a charity auction during that time frame. Uh... But for people who aren't interested in participating in the charity auction, it's a great time to go grab a meal. 
and it gives you time to actually sit down, talk with people without just grabbing food, running, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But these are the type of things you want to just be at least mindful of uh, when you're attending a convention. Yeah, and you can always just pack a sandwich in your bag and go with it. Oh, yeah. I know people who tra who have one of those like little cooler rolling wheels and they'll have sandwiches in there and drinks and carrot sticks or whatever else to keep going. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about games. When you are putting a game on the schedule, what are some things to keep in mind to help you get players for that game? Um, JT, I'll start with you. All right. Uh, really, there's two elements to, to get players attracted to your game and this old obviously has to go on a schedule somewhere which means somebody needs to either put it in a digital scheduling system or print out a schedule with a guidebook or both and there's only so much room for for your title and your description so a gripping title is vital that that you know, don't just title it hero system you want a more evocative title and you can mention hero system or maybe that's part of the metadata of the the session and then your description needs to be like, I don't know, two to three good sentences and call it good at that point. Because if you write your entire backstory of your uh, session, one, it's not going to fit in the guide. So they're going to chop it at some point. If you can even submit it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the, the registration systems now, they have a character limit. Yep. Like 500 characters, 250 characters, something like that. Yeah. And if some by some miracle, your backstory lands in the guidebook. The players are going to look at it and go, oh, TLDR, and they're not even going to sign up for it or show up. Yeah. Additional information necessary if you're running a mature game like uh, 18 plus or, or, or 21 plus or 97 plus age group. Make sure to mention that and mention what level of experience you would like the players to have with the game system, either experience required, especially if it's a more complex, uh, uh, crunchy system, or mm -hmm. newbies welcome. Like, I'll teach you how to play, or you don't know how to, you don't have to know how to play when you sit down at the table. Just, that really helps. Like, if I'm looking for a game I've never played before and it says experience required, I'm probably going to skip it because I don't want to bring the table down yeah. with me asking mm -hmm. those quote-unquote stupid questions. Now, a lot of conventions, their systems will have automated like buttons to fill in this type of information, like the age group you're willing to run for, the number of players you're willing to run for, the, the, the content rating system, that type of thing. Exactly. Right. I usually try, if, if there's not an obvious place for what the the system is going to be, I will sometimes put the system name in the title and it'll be like Tales from the Loop Radio Star. Yeah, that's legit. Like that's the, you know, the system, that's my title. Um, and then my blurb will be like, especially for the Tales from the Loop games, this is the system I've kind of fell into with these. It'll The first line will be just a general hint at what the scenario is going to be about. And then the next line will be kind of the the quick summary of what the game is what the genre is that works this is a game of kids on bikes solving mysteries in the 1980s you know mm -hmm. like to to give people an understanding of what they're going to get into tomas since you ran your game at a con uh -huh. did they they have that on a schedule or were you just kind of given a table to get whoever came to you well, I both run my game and created some panels as well. So I had to do both things that work in a similar manner. 
for both of them, I had to uh, write a catchy title that fit within a certain amount of characters. So it was quite difficult to find the right uh, word choice uh, because I wanted to be both concise and descriptive. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. That also works for the description as well. Uh, you don't want to do like a lengthy test that no one is going to read. And in that same similar manner, well, uh, those sort of uh, events that I created, I wasn't the one saying when I wanted them to be. In fact, I added a quick note that I wanted uh, my the games for my horror game set at night, and one of them was set at 9 a.m. in the middle of the of everywhere. So oh, no. I I couldn't create that much of a horror vibe. Right. But at the same time, it went yeah. spectacular spectacularly as well so it wasn't that much for travel the the players were just amazing one other thing to keep in mind is you can pay attention to what the popular game systems are and you can choose to run games that are popular to get players if you are thinking about what to run and you know that that convention is one where savage worlds games are super popular, you could choose to run Savage Worlds and it gives you a higher chance to get more players. Uh-huh. Sometimes it can be a mix. Sometimes the more ex- obscure the game system you're running, the harder it is to draw players. Sometimes uniqueness will make players want to come check you out because it's something different. Well, at the same time, if you're able to choose uh, within the time frame that you're going to be playing that game, just check out which other games are set in that time. If, if there's some kind of popular game at the same time that, that you want to run your own game, chances are you're not going to find that many players. Yeah. Yeah. At Origins, I run with a group called Matinee Adventures, and we plan it out so that we have um, probably three to four games running at the same time. And we'll make sure like we're not like, lumping all of the superhero games into the same slot or we're we're trying to mix it up a little bit so that you know because honestly if we know we've got people who are excited to play superhero games you don't want to make all of the superhero games compete together right you want to spread them out so those people have a chance to play as many of them as many of them as they want totally so you've signed up to run a game what are some things to keep in mind when you actually get to the table and it's time to run Tomas, what did you do when you were at Big Bad Con and, you know, it was time to run your game? What did you have ready to go? Uh, well, I got many things ready. Uh, firstly, I tried to get first for most of the games. I didn't manage to get there first for all of them. But so that all people that do come in, I have the, the needed time to explain how the game is going to work and how we are going to play. Uh, in a similar manner, if... Uh, Usually people take some time to arrive. They're, they may be just coming out from some other game. So I brought one thing that I, I'm actually working on uh, and plan to uh, release in the future for them to see as uh, the other people came into the table. So it was just something to, for them to see and be entertained. Bringing that sort of things always works as well. So they don't end up bored or just have them introduce themselves and and see what they like and why they decide to come to your game. I find that I want to make sure I have all of my materials ready to go. Again, I also try and get there before the players get there. 
I want to make sure the table is inviting. So like I'll have the character sheets spread out so that people can see them or I'll have some little, you know, something out to indicate what I'm running, even if it's just the the main book for whatever game it is. And I'll just make sure that I have everything ready to go that, so we, that we can get rolling in the game as soon as possible. That works as well. What about your thoughts, JT? Yeah, don't schedule yourself for running back-to-back games. You do need recovery time. You need downtime to mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, to recover because running a four-hour slot is pretty intense. Yeah. You can't go over, but you don't want to go under too much. It, it's, there's a lot of considerations there, which could be a whole other podcast, so I'm not going to delve into that. Uh-huh. You know, don't schedule anything before each session that you're going to be running. I made that mistake when I was trying to sell a product at Tacticon up in Denver some many number of years ago during the D&D 4, 4th edition era. I ran the adventure a grand total of four times in three days, and the adventure was an eight-hour slot. <gasps> oh. oh. Oh, ow. Uh-huh. And and I drove. I didn't have the money for the hotel in Denver, so I drove from Colorado Springs to Denver. And it was pretty deep into Denver, so it was like an hour and a half drive one way. Oh, man. Oh, JT. Yeah, that was brutal. That was brutal. But hey, I was trying to sell a game or an adventure. Yeah. But that was, oof. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. Yeah. Learn yeah. from my mistakes. Don't do that to yourself. It was it was harsh. Ange and Tomas both already covered You know what I was going to say. You know, basically... Get your table set up before the players show up. That way you can have a chance to chill and relax for a minute, maybe three, before the players arrive. And then you can have some calm conversation with them when they get there. Hey, yo, hey, MJT, what's your name? You know, how long have you been gaming? That kind of thing. I love asking my players at, at one shots how long they've been gaming. Not as a contest for who's been gaming the longest. If somebody gets all uppity about that, I shut that down real quick. I just want to evaluate and judge how experienced they are as an overall player. Right. So I can better tailor the game to them. Right. Because if I got six players that sit down and they've all got 20 years each, cool, this is going to run hopefully really smooth. Mm-hmm. If I got like a 20 year veteran, a couple of five years veterans coming in, and then like the absolute noob has never played ever, and this is their first con, I know where I need to focus my attention and let the spotlight slide a little here and there. So it, it just lets you evaluate the table and, and level set. I always love asking that question. Yeah, that's some great advice. I will also say, if you are running a four-hour slot, make sure you've planned for a break in the middle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your players will, they'll get up and go use the facilities if they need to, but it's better if you provide that opportunity for everyone to have a moment to get up from the table, go to the bathroom, yep. get a drink, whatever. And I announced that um, up front so everybody knows. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and obviously if somebody needs to run off and, you know, take a bio break before the official break, cool. I, I'm not going to get upset, right? Because it happens. Yeah. In a four-hour slot, I actually shoot for the two-and-a-half-hour mark, just shortly after the halfway mark in the time slot. I, I don't know why. It's just That just feels right to me. It's a gut feel thing for me. I don't have any specific reason it just works i very rarely go the full four hours so i generally aim for about two hours in because i figure i'm going to go three three and a half hours into the slot right that way if i do two hours it's 
And it's usually based on when I feel a good halfway point is, where a good pause point is. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other thing to keep in mind, again, and JT sort of brushed against this, and again, this is a topic we could do a whole episode on separately, but like if you have a four-hour slot, you need to make sure you end within that four-hour slot. There is nothing that irks me more than the GM who we're three and a half hours into the session, and he's like, yeah, I got about another hour or more of this left. You guys are all okay staying late, right? And it's like, no. No. <laughs> I got other games to go to. I've got other games to go to. I'm meeting people for dinner. I have people I want to hang out with. Yep. I am not here just to play your game. So make sure you wrap it up within the time frame. It's okay if you tell your players, hey, we're running a little long. I'm going to try and make sure we get out of here on time. And if everyone at the table says, okay, you know, we can stay a little later, that's fine. But don't assume your players are going to be able to stay late. Right. And don't assume the table's going to be available for you to stay late. Because some places will book the next game 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later yeah. at that exact same physical location that you're at. So you, you got to vamoose anyway. Yeah, that's right. So any last thoughts about attending conventions? Yay, go do it. Sorry, I, I got enthusiastic there. <laughs> um, they're fun. They're a blast. They are physically exhausting. Yeah. If you're not tired at the end of a con, you didn't do it right. Uh, <laughs> however, they're completely rewarding mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. They, they, I mean, these are, I come away eager to do more, but physically incapable of doing so. Yeah. But they're worth the time and money investments. They really are. Don't start big. I, re I really don't advise your origins, your Gen Con, your, your, your Metatopias for your first con. I really recommend starting small and local to make sure you get the vibe that you like it, that you enjoy it. And once you get the feel of things, uh, then expand out to the more distant and larger cons. Mm -hmm. That's some great advice. Well, in my case, I was thinking that uh, check out the sort of um, in this time and age, uh, the sort of precaution that these cons are taking in case for all the COVID nonsense that is uh, going on everywhere and at any time. For example, uh, for Big Bad Con, I know that they made a huge effort to have everyone wear masks mm -hmm. and be extremely cautious uh, because uh, in both occasions that they went to Big Bad Con, there was one single case of COVID, and in both cases, they advised us, they told us uh, via email to do some tests uh, every single day to check if we are okay and to just uh, make sure that everyone at the convention is doing fine as well. It's the new reality we're living in. Yeah. Exactly. As much as we would like it, COVID has not gone away. It's still out there. So make sure you take your precautions and and abide by whatever the convention has set up as their policies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in, in general, I completely understand that conventions are not for everybody. Some folks who are not necessarily as extroverted don't want to go to a place where there's lots of other people. But if you are even remotely, even remotely teeny tiny, just the smallest bit of extrovert, of liking other people around and that type of situation, do a game convention. They are a lot of fun. It exposes you to a lot of different games and the relationships you can form from attending conventions can be friendships that last a lifetime. Totally agree. So moving on out of here, 
This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Teleporter 2030 Redux. When there's a con on the other side of the world you want to attend, get there fast and quick through Teleporter 2030 Redux. We guarantee a 90% perfect reconstitution on the other side. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Pandas Talking Games. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes. Join Pandas, Phil, and Cinda every Wednesday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop RPGs. Get cozy and let's talk about some games. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, gnomestew on Blue Sky, and gnomestew on Facebook. We technically still have an account on the place that used to be Twitter, but none of us maintain it anymore. <laughs> so go to Blue Sky if you can. Yeah, please. Gnomes, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to today? All right. I got a two-parter. So as mentioned earlier, I'll be at Mile Icon in Denver from October uh, 27th through the 29th. It's a great spec fit convention for artists, authors, creatives, fans, cosplayers, and anybody that gets a rush from sci-fi, fantasy, horror, gaming, and all things adjacent to those. I'll be on a handful of panels, so I'd love for you to come look me up. There are two J Evanses. Look for JT Evans. That's me. The other J Evans <laughs> is Jason Evans, who is a fantastic human being, but he's not me. So if you walk up to him and say, I love your articles on Gnomes too," he won't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, details. Uh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> he is a gamer though. He does play. He does play role playing games. Anyway, details for the fifty fifth Mile High Con can be found at milehighcon.org. The link will be in the show notes. And by the way, it's spelled milehicon.org. Uh, oh, my part two: Stars Without Numbers. I know the game's been out for a, a good long while. Just got into it with my gaming group. I guess it'll be three weeks ago. Is the time you're hearing this. I am in love with this game. I opened the book. I love the layout. The layout is so fantastic. Yes, I'm a layout nerd. The, the rules are, are, are just spot on. The writing is spectacular. But the layout, all the skills are on one page. All the background summaries are on one page. There's no page flipping to, to get to ingest the full chunk of what you need. It's just... Uh, game designers out there, game layout people out there, get stars without numbers and learn. This is how it should be done. All right. That, that, those are my shout outs for the, uh, the, the, the episode. <laughs> I've been playing this week a game called Planet Fifth by Jess from online on Twitter uh, that I'll be going to be writing an article on because uh, she has uh, been uh, doing a crowdfunding on HIO. That, well, at the moment that you're listening to this, uh, it should still be going ongoing, so you can check it out over there. It's a game about uh, being a group of soldiers that has uh, on the future that the moment that they die, they just come back again because they are forced to fight a battle that is never ending. And it creates Oof. some sort of hilarious moments in which you know you're going to die, so you go all in and create all sorts of ridiculous stories. Cool. <laughs> what was the name of the game again? Planet Fifth. Cool. Thank you. You know, make sure you get us a link and we'll put it in the show notes. Of course. Um, I just want to point out, uh, again, I always share YouTube videos because I watch a lot of YouTube, but Seth Skorkowski recently did a video talking about the Quantum Ogre concept, which we did a podcast on a few months ago. Yes, we did. It's definitely an, uh, an episode of his worth checking out. It kind of, I've heard some people complain what he's talking about is not the Quantum Ogre. 
But the problem is, is what he's talking about is what people accuse GMs of doing with a quantum ogre. So it's definitely worth checking out and seeing. It, it basically covers a lot of what we talked about in our episode, where it's like, if used poorly, this is a bad GM situation, but it's not necessarily indicative of a poor GM if they have encounters that they plug and play where necessary. Oh, I'm entirely of it. I'm going to check it out. So, do you guys think we... Uh, we talked, we, we, I mean, we've all got conventions scheduled. We can't go in the stew pot right now, can we? No, not right now. Not till next month, at least. Why? Well, I actually, I have a convention next month as well, but not a gaming one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so hopefully I can stay out of the stew until December. Maybe lighter. <laughs> we'll see. 